0: Hi, you're listening to Perpetual Learning, a mini-cast where we explore great reads and listens on building careers and companies, the future of systems and work, and gaining financial independence. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Hi, Sudan.
1: Hey, Manjula, and I'm Sudan Silva.
0: Our focus this week is on the big lessons from history, inspired by a post by writer Morgan Housel. So, so let's kick this off. So then, who is Morgan Housel?
1: Morgan Housel is probably one of my most favorite finance writers, and when I say mm-hmm. finance, I you know he makes that subject very simple, so you don't feel like you're reading anything related to finance. And a book that I recommend to most folks is the Psychology of Money, and you know he's featured on a number of podcasts, Tim Ferriss, The Knowledge Project, and a few others that kind of give a brief overview of the book itself, but, um, you know, he, he's come up with a number of great blogs around, uh, you know, a number of topics within the world of finance and investing.
0: Is he like a philosophy of finance writer or a um, kind of like a tips oriented, here's what you have to do kind of writer?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's in between. So I think probably more on the practical side of, you know, this is what, you should do or this is how you should think rather so it's not like he's telling you how to invest or where to invest it's more so this is how investors should think and this is how you should feel about investing overall and mm. i think uh, that's a helpful way of looking at you know the idea of investing to begin with
0: mm. uh, by the way you mentioned the knowledge project i love that podcast i just had to throw that in no yeah. there's been a I mean, when I look at the, the written work that has been done on history over the last two years, I mean, there's a lot of soul searching that's gone in in, in North American writing, you know, given the pandemic, uh, the war, uh, a political divide in the U.S. What is it that you like about his take?
1: Well, he doesn't really talk about any of those specific events, right? I think he focuses more on the lessons and what can be learned from past events and what's likely to be repeated you know from a lesson perspective not necessarily from an event perspective and so it's often easy to remember these stories but and and you know perhaps grow paranoid about what could happen next but you know to take it a level deeper and look at the lessons and then see how you can think about events that happen in, in the future to me it's far more valuable
0: so what would that mean when you think about the pandemic you mean that it's not we just we don't just kind of sit back and go, well, there's gonna be, you know, another 10 pandemics, but you actually look for what went wrong in terms of decision-making, is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, it's more so kind of how, how we reacted, right? Like, so one lesson I would perhaps take is like, the resiliency of, or, or lack thereof, perhaps, of the supply chain or the healthcare system, or even the education system, right? Doesn't, like, it may not happen through a COVID-19 type pandemic, But there are likely going to be other ways in which, you know, our core institutions are going to be tested. Mm. So kind of thinking about it in terms of second degree effects versus looking at the actual initial impact itself.
0: Well, that's interesting. So that means that it's a lesson that can actually... It, it isn't just in healthcare as an example. It could be across sort of other things, right? For sure. Okay. For sure.
1: Um,
0: so let's walk through the lessons that he shares. He seems to have a beef with quiet, calm times. What's with that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, to use this phrase, you know, basically nothing too good or too bad stays, you know, that way forever, right? And so when things are going great, that usually plants the seeds of its own destruction as you usually get complacent and, uh, start to use leverage and on the flip side the bad times also don't last forever you know that usually has its own turnaround through opportunity you know rapid panic driven problem solving and so Mm. it's getting comfortable with that paradox to an extent where you know not staying too high or too low um, when when those moments happen
0: maybe even even realizing that when you're going through those times, that these are themes that emerge, right? And keeping an eye totally. out for them in your own behavior, but also in the behavior of others and the and the systems around you. Hmm. What does he say about the balance we need um, of optimism and pessimism?
1: Yeah, I'd say, you know, it goes with this often shared quote amongst value investors, where you save like a pessimist, invest like an optimist. And the trick is to be able to survive the short run problems so that you can stick around long enough to enjoy the long term growth. Right. And so, you know, often balancing pessimism and optimism is key because, you know, if you again, going back to the earlier question, kind of get too high when things are going great and get too low when things are not going great, um, you, you, you can be stuck um, in a more adverse situation.
0: Mm. You know, I found a particular part of his blog blog post quite fascinating um, on how people see what they want to see. I think, I think we're all, uh, we can all be guilty of that. Uh, there's this one point where he talks about interviews that were done with uh, German soldiers after the war. And he says that these soldiers say that they saw themselves as good guys and couldn't understand why the attacking American soldiers that they faced off were so angry at them, which you know, it was just astounding for me to read, right? What do you think drives us to see the world or, or any particular issue through our own lens?
1: I think, I mean, you know, to the earlier point, I think, you know, it's easier to change other people's minds versus your own. And, you know, the second piece, probably more important is, you know, incentives, both monetary and, you know, perhaps more social can drive rational behavior and thoughts, right? And so you know, let's take the war as as a example, social acceptance is a huge driver as to why people behave the way they did, right? It's quite common to see fewer people question a viewpoint when there's a certain, you know, mass uh, number of people to it.
0: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Do you think that there's, I, I wonder then if, how you see the role of an influencer then, given that and you know that it's the, the the influencer economy is like a huge thing and everyone mm-hmm. wants to be an influencer. Apparently, um, I read somewhere and I can't remember this, but it's apparently moved up to being one of the top sort of five occupations that I either public school or high school students say they want to be when they're uh, interviewed. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I, I mean, I think, you know, it, it kind of goes along this point, right? Where, again, you know, the monetary incentives may not be there. However, you can build an audience just and kind of you know compounds on its own just via social acceptance, right? So once you have that initial base, you can continue to build on top of that as long as you have other incentives, other non-monetary incentives in place.
0: Hmm. Let's talk about risk. Um... Uh, you know, we were talking about optimism and pessimism, and and I wonder how hard it is to to plan around risk. How should we think of, uh, and around risk?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, the way he talks about this lesson is the risks that come up in the news rarely take place, and if they do, they aren't as big as people may have thought, right? However, it's the risks that aren't as apparent that will often kill us, right? And from this Respect. Risk management is less about identifying what can go wrong, but being more so prepared if something goes wrong.
0: This this point, I found quite difficult to understand, and I am probably because I know what it's like to be someone who generates news as part of my job, sure. and I know that sometimes um, I've heard people talk about you know for example the fear around walking letting your kid walk to school or the fear around these and usually they're driven off of one news story out of you know i don't know maybe the 3 billion kids that manage to make it to school safely in the world mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so so uh, i mean what what would he want us thinking about instead
1: Yeah, it's not, it's, again, it's not about the actual risk itself. So let's, again, let's take COVID as an example. It's very hard to predict COVID-19 itself. However, you can, assuming some version of that, right, some world catastrophic event happens where, again, your education, your healthcare systems, or your social systems are tested, you have the ability to react to that, right? And I think Mm. that's, that's more so kind of the way to think about risk versus kind of spending a lot of time identifying what the risk could be right so it's being more prepared to handle the risk whatever it might be right and having the re- resiliency to manage that versus spending a lot of time and effort trying to say okay these are the you know 10 or 20 or 100 possible ways in which the risk can emerge from
0: You know, that's interesting. I think of that from a personal perspective, and that makes complete sense because, you know, day to day, you never know what anyone, you know, what's going to come by in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Career wise, financially, personal health wise. And uh, I think it's, it's important to think about creating a um, a very strong foundation for yourself mentally, health-wise, sure. um, financially, and all of those things. So that that is actually what's more important. Instead of thinking of all of the ways that things can go wrong, to say, "Well, here's my base. Here's the resiliency that I that I've built for myself." And sometimes I also, you know, I like other people. I'm also tired of hearing the word resilience because it feels like it's overused and not and misunderstood. Yeah. so um so i say that with a lot of caution right? when i say sure, that sure. I, you know the, i i loved this piece I thought it was a, a great pick um I'm glad I've discovered his his stuff through you what other piece of content of his do you recommend that the rest of us take in
1: yeah I mean I, I'd really go straight to his book i think again doesn't really matter if you're a finance person or not you know whether you're interested in investing or not i think anyone who has or deals with money in some way, shape or form, which is, you know, in theory, everyone I think should read his book. I think, uh, again, it really goes down deeper into kind of how you should think about money, um, whether it's investing, saving, spending, all that kind of stuff, which I think would be useful for anyone.
0: Wonderful. Great topic. So So we're on next week. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. All
1: right. See you.